Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. my little Yidaholics, and welcome to what may not only be the last episode of season one, but with any luck, the very last episode of this stupid show forever. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry you're sad. Well, I enjoy spending time with you too, but if my plan is successful, I won't need this show to utilize mass psychic residue, and I won't even be around because someone will come and get me and help me get Far, far away. I am just so excited, I can barely contain myself. <sighs> ah, that Jacqueline Sadsack has surely by now sent one of her voodoo penises off to find the monastery. It will certainly take some weeks, maybe even months. It is a pain, I know, but I can wait. I've waited in this spunk basin for years already. Many years. I can wait a few more weeks. Oh, I'm sure it will work. What do you mean if it doesn't? Don't say things like that. That makes me angry. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. What? How was I flowered? No, that's not a subject for this intro. Well, no. Well, if you have to know... I was hunted by a mad death cult. Yes, yes. I was working for an ad agency. Moonlighting, being involved with the production staff of the city's thriving theater scene. I could have left the ad business, but, but the pay was exceptional, and I actually enjoyed the work. It was a fascinating opportunity to learn about the human psyche and how to uh, massage the id, so to speak. Yes, this death cult started hunting me. Showing up at performances, following me home. At first, for the longest time, I, I thought I was paranoid. Not a problem I had ever had before. But the thing about a death cult is they're usually not made up of the brightest bulbs on the chain. So I did realize at some point it wasn't in my head. Which is why I was ready for them when they started outright attacking me. Oh, you try to live your life being randomly hunted, then eventually attacked by cult member after cult member. It was like living in a horror novel. They, they would wait for me everywhere and follow me everywhere, break into my place, hide in alleys. It was horrible. Well, where they got the ideas from a bunch of jackasses who live in a locked trans-dimensional prison of their own making called the Crossroads. You have been listening to these stories, right? They locked themselves in all tight and snug and made sure the gates were unbreakable so that time couldn't age them. And then they sat and rotted for centuries before they realized their idiocy. Well, you can live in as nice a mansion as you want, but lock the doors and ensure that you can never step foot outside and wait to see how many decades it takes until you start to lose your mind. They had the biggest enclave of post-humans ever assembled, 
some of whom had read bits of William's book. Yes, William was still around, but he passed on the opportunity, being the only smart one amongst them. William is a great, great man. Great. One of the only people I look up to. Yes, I did. I certainly did. That's a story for another time. Yes, before he lost his mind. No, he still pops up in odd, random places. Willie now. Don't underestimate him. He's embodied an archetype. A comical one, but don't be fooled. He's the only one of us who can switch archetypes. He could step out of the lovable old coot archetype into the somber professor archetype if he wished. I believe. I don't know for sure. I mean, he's not human anymore in a way you'd understand. And he's quite possibly mastered archetype manipulation in a way we could only dream of in the playhouse days. He's the only one of us to survive long enough to evolve into what posties might have always been destined to evolve into. I think, I, I don't know, if I ever get out of here, when I get out of here, I will make my life's mission to track him down and find out whether my suspicions are true. Well, the crossing, uh, the crossroads nitwits thought they could cause a flowering. No one's been able to, although Ravy and my explorations have absolutely furthered research in that direction. If I had a few years to prepare, I, I might be able to pull it off now. No, that's not my plan B. Now, plan B is to utilize the government and their resources. I mean, this would be like plan C, plan D. Well, along with watching this city burn to the ground. Oh, how I would love to see that happen. Oh, and both at once? <laughs> Ooh, it would be legendary. Yes, sorry. Well, the Crossroads bozos couldn't get out, but they could inspire others if the factors were right. And finally, the factors were right. I mean, God knows they had all the time in the world to wait. So, this cult inadvertently made contact with them, and they manipulated the pants out of them and chose me as the guinea pig, hoping I'd flower. Oh, that period was hell. Becoming the near-religious obsession of a death cult is no picnic, I assure you. It tore my life apart and nearly drove me mad. But it did work. I flowered and took my turn at rebuttal. No, I did. I sent the cult a note that simply said, Allow me to retort. And then I did. Stories for another time. Another time. Today's episode of the Radio Hour is brought to you by Bernstein's Bagels. I have nothing but good things to say about bagels. They taste great, if I could taste. And with smoked salmon and cream cheese, only a moron doesn't like a hot bagel. See, you can tell I was an ad man. Only a moron doesn't like a hot bagel. That's good copy. No, it would never have gotten approved back in the day, but they were idiots. Anyway, this is it, your season finale, and with any hope, last episode ever, because I'm finally going to be rescued uh, of the new Albion Radio Hour. Eat.
The next period of time was difficult for Jill to account for. She was floating in some kind of indescribable space, eyes shut tight. She passed out for a bit, but she woke up accidentally, opened her eyes, and the shock of what she saw caused her mind to crack again. In her delirium, she did manage to cast a protective spell around her that ended up manifesting as a bubble. She giggled and cried and whimpered and tried so hard to remember to not open her eyes. Once, in hysterical defiance, she thrust her eyes open and forced herself to stare until she descended into mad, insane laughter, and she cackled and cackled for hours in between crying fits. Finally, she removed her shirt and tied it around her eyes so that she couldn't accidentally see anymore, before passing out again. She slept for a long time, and when she awoke, she could think again. She tried to work through what the grimoire and her mentor had said about extra-dimensional space. The grimoire had spoken of alternative realities and travelers who could traverse them, they were basically just different variations of the normal world, so she wasn't in a parallel narrative. There were a few places that existed as sort of backstage areas, back rooms to these narratives. She couldn't remember if there were more than the collective unconscious, but she knew there was a vast dimension called the collective unconscious, and things grew there that would manifest in the outer world as fictional places or ideas. Camelot was there, and Narnia, and the great green room where the little old lady whispered hush. This place couldn't be measured, and much of it was a great desert, or maybe ocean. She couldn't remember which one. Witches could visit the CU, but this was not it. There were the fairy realms. They got weird. Fairy magic was said to have originated in the fairy realms, but whether it drew upon some great source or whether it was simply a manipulation of natural resources, like a science that worked by different rules, it was not yet known. And this wasn't the Feylands. There was a space that was made up of all the millions of different narratives, a metaspace. In metaspace, you could see all the different narratives, which appeared as enormous organic tubes winding off into the cosmos. It was vast, and all sorts of oddities existed there. There were some creatures who lived there, and some race of super-aliens had tried settling it and acting as caretakers, but something bad had befallen them. Or maybe just being untethered from a set reality had caused mayhem upon their bodies in evolutionary tract. They had devolved, and now were rats or something. There was some other kind of metaspace infranaut, some kind of tiny gnome creature who was apparently very dangerous and who infested certain narratives for what larger purpose no one knew. But they saw humans as animals to be used to further their aims, despite their size and cuteness, and they'd manipulate people mercilessly until they became tamed, kept animals for these little creatures. Jill was not convinced she was in metaspace, when she had opened her eyes, there hadn't been those tubes or other things described as being part of metaspace. Furthermore, a normal human suddenly thrust in metaspace could experience a psychotic break due to having their mind blown by the presence of a larger reality, 
but simply gazing upon metaspace was in and of itself not enough to drive you mad. And in her case, every time she opened her eyes, she lost about a day to hysterical madness. No, this sounded like... First things first. Above all of this was an upper layer through which only a very fine powder was sifted. This was Elysium. There was a membrane separating Elysium from the vast reality below it, and very few things could traverse that membrane. Only the dead, and only some of the dead. Things that made it to Elysium almost never went back down, with a few notable exceptions. Elysium was a vast upper layer, but according to the grimoire, those that made it to Elysium did not stay there forever. Maybe a century, maybe a millennium. It was hard to say. Outside of a specific narrative, time became fluid. But Elysium was only a layer. Things went up from there. Or maybe not up, maybe out, like the rings of a tree or layers of an onion. Or maybe up, outward, it was all metaphors at this level. Above Elysium were the ultra-dimensions, basically entirely new universes, but built on entirely new schemes, new physics, new building blocks, new nature. One could say new elements, but the very concept of an element is tied to our reality level. Atoms only exist on our level. We're talking entirely new realities from the ground up, where the concept of the atom or a quark was left behind long ago. The bottom dimension of the ultra-dimensional levels were the only one ever reached by a human who had returned to talk about it, and the grimoire was cleared. It couldn't be experienced by human senses. How could it? Any attempt by your senses to make sense of it would essentially cause them to short-circuit, like asking a child robot a Zen Cohen. The theory was you'd go mad instantly, and those few who had traversed there warned not to gaze upon it as it caused instant madness. This sounded exactly like Jill's plight. She had teleported out of Elysium, but had gone the wrong way, and was now somewhere she couldn't exist in, somewhere she couldn't even experience, much less gaze upon. And how is magic supposed to work here anyway, where entirely different laws of physics, nature, and reality applied? More importantly, how was she supposed to get the hell out of here? She had heard that Enochian magic could reach up here if you made it to the 30th ether or something. Past ether 30 was here, and you could climb back down, but she didn't know any of the Enochian keys and wasn't trained at all in that system. She tried a teleportation spell. It made an obnoxious noise, not unlike as if a mountain-sized dragon passed gas, and it caused her to tumble about violently. But when she stopped, she didn't feel different and had to decide whether it was worth opening her eyes for a split second to check. Opening her eyes for that split second turned out to be a terrible idea and she went mad again and came to about a day later with a puddle of drool drenching her neck. Anytime she tried something, she couldn't check to see if it had worked without going mad. 
Opening her eyes was like suddenly taking five hits of acid and having it kick into full gear instantly and having to work your way back down over the next day, exhausted, broken, and with the fear that she couldn't do this too many times because her mind wasn't going to be able to write itself much more. She had that tattoo, but she didn't know how to use it. And she hadn't met the other fat woman, but it was hard to imagine she would ever be in a situation worse than this one. There was a holy guardian angel spell, which called upon a self-projected manifestation of a holy guardian angel archetype, or maybe an actual frickin' angel who knew at this point. She couldn't really perform the spell super properly, but hell, anything that did anything would do. She performed it as best she could, doing a pretty botched job of it, but put forth the call with more passion than just about any other witch who's ever cast it. Afterwards, she cried. She was out of ideas. She would pass out, recast the spell, cry, float around, recast, repeat, and starve to death. It was the best she could do. Not always, but sometimes, sometimes, the best you can do is good enough. Jill did good enough. She unknowingly sent out a beacon and was rescued by a woman named Jill, a strange theater troupe, and three teddy bears and a large wooden shoe. She wouldn't know or understand until years later when she would be on the other side of rescuing herself what had happened. And since she couldn't open her eyes, she never saw the shoe with the three teddy bears approach her and using a giant candy cane as a hook, draw her in, then turn the shoe around and head back down the funnel. She felt the fall, a gentle downward floating. Then, as she seemed to land, heard applause. She felt a hand on her, heard some man with a high, nasally voice talking to an audience, heard another man's voice say, There, there, along with some other voices she didn't recognize, and then heard her own voice, sounding slightly older, whisper in her ear, It's okay. Everything's okay. We've got you. You're going to rescue yourself in a few years, so don't let Raven do his onstage gravity-defying foam orgy until he's let you do your rescue show. But you're going to be fine. We're going to set you back in the metaverse. Count to 30, then I promise you, you can open your eyes. Jill nodded, counted to 30, took a deep, fearful breath, then dared to open her eyes. She didn't go mad. She was all right. She saw the giant tubes. She was clearly in metaspace and at least at the right reality level. In addition to giant tubes and all sorts of other weirdness, she saw a great tower looming before her, just floating about in the strange space. She swam to it. It shouldn't surprise anyone who has followed along this far that upon exploring the inside of the tower, she stumbled across a young man with an unshaven beard sitting about in a corner on one of the levels. He sat up suddenly when he saw her, shocked to see another human being after all this time, much less a shirtless young woman. Whoa, whoa, I... <clears throat> oh my God, it's somebody. 
I've been here so long, so long. I I I I didn't know of anybody. I mean, I'm I'm so glad to see someone. Excuse the mess. I, I'm. I, he tried to calm himself. Sorry. <clears throat> it's been a while since I've seen anybody, and I'm really glad to see you. Hello, my name is Michael. He put out his hand. Jill returned the handshake. Hi, Michael. I'm Jill. And there is your episode. Our musical morons don't have their instruments today, so you'll have to make do with some acapella renditions of whatever cruddy piece of garbage they're going to play for you today. So, cruddy piece of garbage, take it away. Fat and docile, big and dumb, they look so stupid, they aren't much fun. Cows. Cows aren't fun. They eat to grow and grow to die and die to be it at the hamburger fry. Cows. Cows well done. That's why nobody thunk it. Nobody knew. No one imagined the great cow guru. Cows are one. Yes, he hid in the forest, read books with great seal. He loved Che Guevara, a revolutionary veal. Cow Tsung. He spoke about justice, but nobody stirred. He felt like an outcast, alone in the herd. Cowdle drums. He moved, we must fight, escape or we'll die. Cows gathered around, because the stakes were so high. Bad cow pun. But then he was captured, stuffed onto a crate, loaded into a truck where he rode to his fate. Cows are bummed. He was a scrawny calf who looked rather woozy. That's why no one suspected he was packing an Uzi. A cows with guns. They came with a needle to stick in his thigh. He kicked for the groin. He pissed in their eye. Cow well hung. He knocked over a tractor and ran for the door. Six gallons of gas flowed out on the floor. Run. Run, cows, Run. He picked up a bullhorn and jumped up on the hay. We are free roving bovines. We run free today. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. Well, they crashed the grade in a great stampede, tipped over a milk truck, torched all the feed. Cows have fun. Sixty police cars were piled in a heap, covered in cow pies, covered up deep. Much cow dung. Black smoke rising, darkening the day. Twelve burning McDonald's. Have it your way. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. The president said enough is enough. These uppity cattle, it's time to get tough. Cow dung flung. 
The newspapers gloated, folks sighed with relief. Tomorrow at noon, they would all be ground beef. Cows on buns. The cows were surrounded. They waited and prayed. They mooed their last moos. They chewed their last hay. Cows outgunned. The order was given to turn cows into whoppers, enforced by the might of 10,000 coppers. But on the horizon, surrounding the shoppers, came the deafening roar of chickens in choppers. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. <laughs>